This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you win. Order now on the McDonald's app. You can also get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. By completesigns.co.uk. Complete Signs are a producer of top quality internal and external signs for an ever-expanding portfolio of clients, including hotels, schools, local authorities and small businesses across the nation. Offering a wide range of creative solutions from flat metal nameplates to neon fascia signs and everything in between. Clients are offered the highest standards in consultation and sales support to ensure complete customer satisfaction. With clients free to choose solutions from a wide variety of materials including brass, aluminium, stainless steel, wood and a number of plastics. Covering most of South England with virtual offices in Croydon, Epsom, Hawley, Worcester Park in Surrey, Crowthorne in Berkshire, Regent Street West London, Docklands East London and Crawley and Brighton in Sussex. So if you're looking for the complete professional service for your sign needs, then look no further than Complete Signs. Head to their website, completesigns.co.uk, for further information, including contact details and full office addresses. Live commentary. Uh, ball back with companion in the centre of the field. I hope he plays a long raking pass. He doesn't. <laughs> it's found Dobby. Oh, again, he's tried to... Have you got a word for those short passes? Well, I've got a word for that short pass, but um, <laughs> I better not say it. Live interviews. Yeah, I think that's where we'll be for, for the foreseeable future. You know, we've worked on some interesting things there. And um, I think that we're developing, we're developing it bit by bit. It's probably going to be our best option. Expert analysis. Directly from Johnny Parr himself, the actual Johnny Parr, um, with, with, with the first clue, yeah? This invention will help you when I'm making myself a tasty snack. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Is it the, uh, the Norwegian cheese slicer? Well done, it is a cheese slicer. Well, most of the time, anyway. Homesdale Radio. Good evening and welcome to this week's Homesdale Radio. My name is Ben Nagel and you join me this evening and my esteemed co-presenters for the next hour and a bit to talk all things Crystal Palace. With me tonight I have Alex White. Hello. Tony Piers. Evening all. And in the contact hub, in a weird sort of role reversal, Mr Christopher Hambling. Hello. 
This afternoon, we gained a well-earned, hard-fought point away at Swansea City, and whether you're on the way back from the game, at home having watched the game on a stream, or at home having not watched the match at all, we're here to talk you through all the memorable moments of this afternoon. It's rare for a game to be so raw in the mind when we broadcast, as usually we've had a good 24 hours to digest the game, prepare our thoughts and rationalise our opinions. Tonight though, who knows what's going to happen. After a short break, we're going to go straight into talking about the game, and then later tonight we've got a very special interview which is not to be missed, for both Palace fans and football fans in general. But now, without further ado, let's get started with the show, and here's a roundup of the latest happenings in SE25 with a not-so-brief version of News in Brief. Get involved with the show. Email radio at homestyle.net or call us on 0208 1234 098. Homestyle Radio. Voices for Palace Watch. Faces for Crime Watch. Wayne Hennessy, Danny Gabadon, Johnny Williams and Joe Ledley have all been selected by Wales boss Chris Coleman for their friendly against Iceland on Wednesday the 5th of March. Mila Jednak, Marouane Shamak, Damien Delaney, Kikisho Dikachoy, Barry Bannon, Johnny Parr, Adrian Marepa and Adeline Guadiora have also been selected for their respective nations. Crystal Palace Football Club can confirm that midfielder Jason Punchen has been charged by the Football Association. Uh, a statement from the FA read, Crystal Palace Jason Punchen has been charged by the FA for Twitter comments he made in relation to Neil Warnock. Owen Garvin came back to haunt his former club by netting a free kick, which clinched the win for Palace's development side against Ipswich Town at Portman Road. After three defeats in the last four outings, the Eagles got back on track with a fine comeback victory, with Jonathan Williams also getting on the score sheet. Homestar Radio will be soon at the <laughs> development... That doesn't make any sense. We'll soon be doing the development squad commentary again, yeah. so keep an eye out for that. You yeah. could write it better. But you could speak it better. Next. <laughs> Crystal Palace clash with Manchester City has been moved to the 27th of April, Sunday, for live te television coverage. The match has been moved from its original date of Saturday the 26th of April and will now kick off at the completely normal time of 4.10pm to be shown live on Sky Sports. Hooray! Midfielder Johnny Williams has joined Championship side Ipswich Town on a month-long loan deal. The Welsh international, who is set to link up with his country once again next week, has penned a temporary deal with the Tractor Boys to aid their promotion bid. Steve Browett said he needs to be playing every week and going to a team doing well in the Championship and an experienced, experienced manager is ideal. Uh, Owen Garvin has also gone out on loan joining Ian Holloway's Millwall. Argentine legend Julian Speroni will be among the guests when Sky Sports football expert Guilhem Balaguer calls into Sellers Park on March the 20th to talk La Liga, see Pep Guardiola and all things football. We told them earlier this week and you can listen to that interview later in the show. Homesdale Radio is brought to you in association with CompleteSigns.co.uk for all your sign-based needs. To receive a genuine 10% discount, mention you are listening to Homesdale Radio and get in touch today. Right, welcome back, I think. I think we're back on air. Um, yeah, I'm still here, joined by, by Alex White, Tony Piers and Chris Hamling. Uh, to talk Swansea this afternoon, obviously we, we've been to South Wales and we've taken a point, uh, a well-deserved point in the end really after an abysmal first 45 and, and a much improved second 45. 
and we'll start. We'll go straight into it, and we'll, we'll talk to him. Uh, so I'll read you the, the starting eleven now, and then we'll we'll move on to to that. Spironi was in goal, and then in back four we have Ward, Parr, Delaney, and De- <laughs> Delaney and Dan. That, I've got it all in the wrong order. Right? And then Dick Joy and Jenak in front of them, and then Ince, Ledley, and Balassi, and then Shamak up top. And I haven't done that very well, but we'll uh, we'll gloss over that and move on. <laughs> um, yeah, so in that lineup, KG and Balassi came in for for Punchin and Murray. Uh, Punchin was a weird one because he kind of was just admitted wasn't on the bench, um, uh, but he was in the stadium. So it's a slightly difficult. Well, we don't really know what what's happened with that. Whether he's picked up an injury or, as Chris mentioned earlier, maybe the FA charge has got to his head. But but was it right? Is my question here? Was it right for for Murray to be on the bench after starting against Man United? So Alex, I'll come straight to you if you don't mind. He does mind, apparently. Yeah, he doesn't want to talk. Oh, well, uh, well, Tony, I'll come to you. Well, personally, I thought that, well, Murray, let's face it, he's only just come back from injury. And um, he had a good game in the last game. But I think, you know, we don't want to overdo it with him. He came on. He, I mean, even when he came on, to be fair, he barely had a touch of the ball when he first came on. Um, I mean, we can talk about what happened later on in the match. But I, I think, yeah, leave him on the bench to start with was... Was not, in, ho- in hindsight, it might not have been the best decision, but I think going into the match, you can understand why it needed to be done. He needed to be sort of brought in slowly. Um, you don't want him to be playing too much football, having come back from such a long-term injury. OK, and Alex, your thoughts on, on Murray not starting? Um, yeah, obviously, as, as Tony alluded to there, he hasn't played much football. So to expect someone to come in and play two games in, in however many days it was is... Is, is probably unexpected after such a long time out, but you see the difference, the presence when he comes on that he has in general of the whole side was just, just incredible for me. But I, I express my man love for Glenn Murray on a weekly basis, so it probably makes <laughs> no difference. Okay, and Chris, we got, we'll come to you for some tweets. Uh, what, what yeah, well, there's, there's uh, various views. Obviously, the general view on the lineup was similar to myself, that everyone was pretty happy when they looked at it on paper, but um, obviously not so happy about how it started. I mean, Andy A was talking about Glenn Murray, saying that um, obviously he does need to be eased in to get his fitness up, and I think everyone understands that's why, why Murray didn't start. But um, there was also... Um, some views on Twitter, I mean, about, about the idea of playing Chamac as a lone striker, and that's something that we've talked about. It was uh, Jim, who's at Jim CPFC, he, he said that Chamac can't play as that lone front, uh, front striker, and that was pretty clear after the first half. So, in effect, saying that, that the forced substitution of getting Glenn, well, that eventually led to Glenn coming on the pitch, was uh, probably to our benefit. Okay, and what are your, your personal thoughts on, on that as well? Um, well, I, I just I think it, it's pretty obvious that, that we don't want to end up in a situation where we lose Murray. I think we're desperate. You can see Tony Pulis is desperate to have him involved because he makes such a difference. Um, you know, if he hadn't if he hadn't been on the pitch, we wouldn't have got that goal. And it seems an obvious statement to make, but I'm talking about the way he chased the ball down, the way he got his foot in, and and how he got his his body in front of the def- the defender. You know, it, it, this classic Glenn Murray, and we've forgotten how good he is. And Pulis has seen that very, very early on, and he's desperate to get him involved, but you just can't take a risk when someone's been out that long. Um, and I have to say, on the overall lineup, I was really quite worried when I saw it, and I might be alone in that. It, I, I felt it looked strong in the midfield, and I thought straight away, it's all focused around stopping Swansea playing, and I know the reasons for that, but I, I mean, we'll talk about it, I'm sure, but it was one of the worst first halves I've ever seen, and I, and I thought... The, st- the struggles that Tom Ince and, and Mario and Shabak had were because of that poor system. Mm. Yeah, it's obviously something that we definitely will will come on to in a bit. Uh, Tony, you want 
make a point on that. I just want to echo what Chris said. It's probably one of the worst first halves I've seen for a very long time. OK, we'll, uh, we'll hold that back and we will come to that very shortly. Obviously, that is a, a major, major talking point. Um, but yeah, with, with that Murray situation, obviously looking forward now after this game, Shamak's gone off injured and we don't know really sort of how bad that injury was. It looked like he'd, he'd pulled his hamstring and that potentially could be you know, a, a quite a long injury layout depending on how bad it was. Obviously, as I say, we don't quite know yet. But, but yeah, for Murray, it's, it's perfect that he's got on the score sheet because I think I saw a tweet earlier, the fact that if he'd gone you know, for, for the whole season without scoring and having a massive dry spell, it's going to knock his confidence so much, especially after scoring so many goals last season. And then coming back and, and not scoring at all in the Premier League, you know, it puts doubts in your mind. Am I am I good enough for this level and that sort of thing? But yeah, it's nice for him to get on the score sheet. And I think going into the last 10 games of the season, he's going to have a massive role to play. All right, we're going to move on now um, to Spironi, actually, because um, at the start of the game, uh, he was flapping a little bit, if I'm honest, and I know I'm 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 not slagging him off. I, I planned on slagging him off, if I'm honest, when I was writing my notes, and he was <laughs> sort of had a had a bad start to the game, and then there was that save sort of midway through the first half we'd, we'd conceded, and then uh, the the Bonnie chance that he saved with his hand. Um, and I saw the commentator on the stream I was watching said that he started the last 73 league matches for Crystal Palace, which is absolutely unreal. Um, but he's 34 years old, so he is getting on a bit, and, and we have to appreciate that. There's so much sentiment uh, that comes when you talk with, you know, about Julian Sperone. Um and he's been at the club for 10 years. He's done so much for us. Um, did he prove today that he wants a new deal uh, and a good few more years as first choice? Because uh, yeah, I think he had a, a fantastic performance. So, Alex. I think the thing is, Ben, that even if he's not our first choice as of next season, I don't think. How ca- we can't merit not giving him a new contract. Uh, it, it's it sounds silly to say people just deserve a contract regardless of how they perform, but this guy literally does. And and I feel I feel kind of sick saying it, but he genuinely just deserves a contract regardless, even if he's our number two. And I genuinely feel that way. And 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 today exactly proves that you know his start is shaky, but he's still there. He's st- and and how much he loves the whole place in general. And I. He would have no problems in sitting as number two next year. And I know that sounds crazy, but he he would still carry on fighting for his place. He wouldn't throw a strop. He's just a true professional that in any capacity to have around the club is just fantastic because the spirit, and he knows the club inside out, and his experience is absolutely invaluable. Do you think he will be number two next season? Like obviously, we bought Wayne Hennessy in. Do you think that that is one for next season or potentially the sort of season after that? I don't know. It's tough because I, I sort of mirror of it mirror it when Pulis was at Stoke and he had Sorensen and then he got a bit old and they brought Begovic in and then they brought Butland in because they'd always had they'd always had three really strong goalkeepers um, and he didn't drop Sorensen lightly but he did bring Begovic in reasonably early so I'm thinking maybe maybe next year might be Hennessy season. We'll have to wait and see. We don't we don't really know what's going inside his head but but I think maybe we might see Hennessy as of next season. Yeah. Okay, Antonio, your views on Julian Sperani? Yeah, I think, you know, you were talking about Wayne Hennessy. I think goalkeepers get into their prime when they're in their late 20s, early 30s. I mean, 34 for an outfield player might be um, quite old, but for, for a goalkeeper is, is, is not necessarily over the hump as such. And he's proved week in, week out for us that he can do it. So, you know, I, I would say it's, it's, um, it's Hennessy to try and... Uh, play for competition really if Hennessy wants to prove that he's he wants to go up to number one and take over Speroni's place 
it's up to him to prove in training that he can do it and he's got to wait until Sproni makes a mistake because if Sproni continues going the way he is, if he, if he continues playing, I've got no problem with him staying in the team. It's only if he starts to make mistakes and drops confidence, then you need to bring in another goalkeeper. But for the time being, he's doing nothing wrong. Okay, Alex? I agree, uh, Tony. But the, the fact is that you talk about goalies and their age, and you look at um, you look at like Brad Friedel, and he's what full, early forties now, and Mark Schwarzer. And he's, but but uh, the difference is these guys are like six foot five, six foot six, and they take up the whole goal. Sproni is so reliant on his uh, springiness. Is that a word? Springiness and, <laughs> and agile. It's a word you've used before. Agility. <laughs> <laughs> his agility. Yeah, it's. He's so reliant on that, and that is something you do lose as you get older, which is evident. Which is my one worry about Sproni, and I don't, and he won't go on as long as, as massive guys that take up the whole goal. Yeah, well, one thing I think with Sproni, his agility and his sort of reactions, I think if anything have improved in his in his time at Palace. Obviously, you know he came in sort of a, a young a young player from from Dundee, this, this Argentinian that not many people have heard of, and then sort of has has got better and better as the years have gone on. He he started off shaky. Um, he was he uh, he came in that Premier League season, didn't he? And he got dropped pretty pretty quickly after a couple of mistakes, and that must have knocked his confidence. And then he sort of built it up and built it up. And then this season, he's he's proving to everyone that he is good enough for the Premier League. And you know, there's so much talk now about about the Argentinian squad didn't quite make it for this one, but but still fighting for his place. And he knows. I read an interview with with Sproni that that the Argentinian manager had been watching videos of him and he was sort of waiting for the call-up. So, you know, that is a definite possibility. Whereas before, you know, we, we always talked about him as being a fantastic Argentinian keeper. But what was he really good enough for the Argentinian national team? And, and he's sort of proven now that he is. Chris? Yeah, I was uh, going to actually echo that point, Ben. He has looked a lot sharper this season than he has in, a, in, in a, the last couple for me. I think he's... he's I wouldn't say he was ever, uh, you know, a heavy guy, but he, he seems to have trimmed down a little bit. Um, and, he, and he just, yeah, he does seem, his reactions seem as sharp as ever. And I mean, Andy A in the chat room, that's hororadio.net forward slash chat if you want to join in the fun. They're talking about the fact that taller keepers actually do get a bit slower getting down to, to low shots with age, and that's that's a valid point. But the general consensus in there between between Andy and, and Texas uh, Texas Palace and Palace 15 Eagle, they're all saying the same sort of things that, that you know, Julian's nowhere near past at 34 as, as a goalkeeper. And, and more to the point, you know, we're talking about would he be prepared for to sit on the bench next season if he just gets a contract and those guys don't think why they're thinking why would he he's still good enough he's, he's a, proved himself a Premier League quality goalkeeper um, and you talk about whether he should get another contract it's a definite but what I, what I think the problem actually is is that uh, you, you look at what um, Tony Pulis has said this week that he doesn't want to do anything until we know what division we're in and I think that it's very hard to give someone like Julian Speroni a new contract befitting of his ability when you don't know if you're going to be a championship or premiership club you can take a punt on it and say you know, here's your wage in the Premiership. Here's your wage in the in the division below. But you run the risk of offending someone like Speroni. And I think in his his comments recently have shown that he's, you know, maybe he's thinking maybe uh you know just the last part of his career maybe he fancies a bit of a move. Um, and that's not that long ago he he, he nearly joined Middlesbrough when uh, just before 2010 took over took over. So it's an interesting time. But I thought it was great today in the end. But yeah, yeah. Okay, and Tony, your thoughts on that? Yeah, I was going to echo that. Basically, I mean, I don't think the if you look at the Argentinian um, goalkeeper lineup, um, I think their their number one goalkeeper plays for Monaco. So you know, Monaco up until recently, when all the money's come in, were not a big team, and the other the other teams, you know, are, are lower league teams if you like, uh, compared to you know Sproni, who's playing in arguably one of the best leagues in the world. And if you think back to it, I can't remember whether it was the Man United match or the match before that. There was a, a, a 
a save he made where he got really quickly down and made the save. And, you, you know, even the commentator noted that a, a taller goalkeeper probably wouldn't have got to that. So West Brom, that was. Yes, that's the one. So, you know, as I said, until I think that that number one spot is Speroni's until he he makes a mistake. And, you know, at the moment he's not doing that. So why why would we why would we even talk about it? Okay, great. Uh, We'll move on then uh, away from Speroni and and more to to the game as as a whole and, and more specifically the first half, really. Um, and we would like to hear some tweets on this so if you, you tweet at Hull Radio and then get in contact you can email us loads of different ways as, as we've said before um, this really is, is something the major really sort of talking point of this of this game um, and then it's about the abysmal first half and the, the much better second half so yeah, 17% possession to their 83% in the first half and I tweeted it earlier I think the only thing we deserved from the game at, at half time was a slap um, the, the completed passes in the first half we completed 55 of our 93 and Swansea completed 458 of their 493 which is you know they, they attempted 400 more passes than us and that in any league in the world whether you know regardless of the, their top or bottom you know we could be four divisions apart and that wouldn't be acceptable I think it's just absolutely unbelievable and Tony your thoughts on that please well, I slightly agree and slightly disagree, just to be on the fence for that one. Um, I think, yes, they did make a lot of passes. And I, I had a friend of mine who's not a Palace fan watching the match with me. And um, he, he agreed, you know, they were making a lot of passes. You know, I think in the first 10 minutes, they had something ridiculous, like 82% um, of the possession. But at the end of the day, most of their possession was passing it, you know, as we know Swansea do, and they do it well, passing it in the midfield, passing it backwards, sideways, and it wasn't really doing anything. And they didn't really trouble us to start with. It was only wet. the only the only time they actually troubled us to, um, at their first attack was their goal, and that was you know way late into the first half. So, you know, although we did concede possession, that's the way that Pulis wants us to play. He wants us to absorb possession, let them have the ball, and then we'll catch them on the counter. You know, unfortunately, we weren't set up well enough to be able to do that because. We only had one person up front, so every time Swan, uh, every time we cleared the ball, it went to Shamak. Shamak would flick the ball on, it went back to their defender, their attack started again. So that's why we played so much better against, for example, Man United, where we had two up front, where one person would flick it on and the other person would um, take the ball and hold it up, but we just didn't have that today. But most of their possession and most of their passing, as you mentioned, are over 400 passes, it just went sideways and backwards. It doesn't mean a thing unless they're actually getting into the box. Well, they did get into the box and they scored one and they should have had a second if it wasn't for Julian Speroni. I just think we went in at half-time and we absolutely deserved to be losing. You know, And if it wasn't for that save from Speroni, we would have been losing pretty heavily, you know, two or two or three nil. And I just thought we were completely overrun. And how how can you have five men in the midfield and, and have 17% possession? I just I don't understand it. Alex, you got any, any thoughts on that? Yeah, it was completely set up with those three holding midfielders to to break up the play and stop the play. And I understand that we were buying into the ethos of Pulis and we sit back and we wait and we step at the right time. But the difference today was we didn't step. We ca- you, you look at their goal, we let them run us, ca- continue on. And, and when you get to the edge of the box, that's got to be where you've got to at least step then because that's the last possible point to step and we didn't and he ran through and he scored an absolutely easy goal we, it was so frustrating to watch and then when you had the three central midfielders and you think that's, that's less likely to happen because they're going to step higher and they're, they're going to put more tackles in before and they just carried on going back going back until he ran through and put the ball in the net it was just 
it, it was very, very frustrating to watch. And I'm all for sitting off, and, but you've got to push at the right times, and everyone's got to buy into that and push at the right time. It was a very clever pass, though, by Boney, wasn't it? The little back heel. Yeah, I think Joe Ward was at fault for the goal as well, I have to say. Um, I thought he, he lost his man, and, and that's where the goal came from. But we, we were so static in the defence. They were just passing around us. It was so simple, that, that Swansea goal. If you watch it back on Match of the Day 2 later, I mean, everyone is standing still, and the ball just gets played around us, and, and Ward loses his man, and it's a well, relatively simple finish in the end. Um, Chris, you've got some reaction in the chat room. I have. Just on the point you were making about them being st- stood still for the goal, I think, in possession we were as well and that was a lot of what the fault was i mean most people are kind of of that view that the first half not not only was it poor but it wasn't acceptable um got both chat room comments and and tweets on that so we'll start with the, the chat room comments if i start with big big dazza in there has said that we gave them too much respect and we're doing that with a lot of teams at the moment and i know exactly where he's coming from on that i do think that sometimes we start a game with with that attitude and philosophy that we're gonna we're going to stay in the game and then have a go a bit later on. And, and that's what we did today. And we, we got a point out of it. But as you said, Ben, it could have been very, very different had they taken a few more chances and with that, without Julius Brony making that save. Um, so that, that was the comment there. And um, obviously there's the um, CPFC 15 in the chat room also says it hurt him to watch that first half. And that, that level of frustration has is, is come across in, in the tweets as well. Patrick O'Connor um, said earlier on the first half was abysmal way too much space possession and respect given to Swansea extremely frustrating to watch um, Daniel Schillings regards to whether it's acceptable says absolutely not I think we rode our luck uh, but it's about time we did have some luck including that penalty and um, Gary T123 one of our favourite names off Twitter says um, absolutely not acceptable um, if we if we have a plan then fair enough but we were so poor luckily we, were, we weren't two or three down and we did nothing on the counter in that first half okay um, and one player, I think, in the first half that, that sort of summed up the way the Palace were playing was Yannick Bellassi. Um he, he is the most frustrating player I've ever seen in a Palace shirt. Um, he can go from, from beating three men and, and whipping a lovely ball in to, to just kick, kicking the ball out of play and, and losing, losing it so easily. He's so inconsistent. And I thought in the first half he was awful. And in the second half, he was probably the best player on the pitch. And I thought that just sort of summed up the first half, really. It was just lacklustre. It was... You know, it wasn't inventive enough. It just, there just wasn't anything there. And uh, Alex, you got a point on this? Yeah, it's, it's so frustrating because I love Yannick, and what he did last year did prove that that he can play in this division and have some effect on it. And the last ten minutes of of today's game did prove that. But all season long, you know, everyone knows about Yannick, and and perhaps his technical ability doesn't merit him playing in this division. It's a harsh comment, but in reality, with his shooting and his crossing, maybe that's fair enough. But but beating a man, you won't find many better. And he just needs that confidence to go and do it like he did last year because these fullbacks, I know there's a big difference between the Premier League and the Championship, but he can still beat these guys, still turn them inside out, and he's just not doing it. He just needs an arm round his shoulder and says, get back to what you were doing, pal. And, and because it, it's just so frustrating to watch that he won't even attempt to beat a player like he used to. But he just needs to pick, a, pick himself up and, and he'll get there because he can do it. Okay, and Tony? I think if you combined Balassi and Ince, you'd have almost the perfect winger. <laughs> is, that what you not, is that all you've got to say? <laughs> not, not, <laughs> I'll, I'll, um, I'll, I'll, I'll sort of support that. Essentially, I think, I think Ince had a, a poor game. Um, I've noticed that Ince started like, he, he came up the clappers like nothing um, in his first game and he's, he's sort of gone off the boil a bit. Um, I think it was mentioned by some of the commentators as well. And 
you know, he's, he's, we know he's got a good delivery and we know he can score, but he just, he's not, since, since Bulis has put him back on the wing, I know it's his natural position, but he doesn't seem to be playing as well as when they put him behind the striker. And uh, I just think, you know, that, that, that was quite frustrating from that point of view. And I think what happens is because Ince went so quiet and nobody noticed that really, everyone was focusing on Balassi because the ball was coming to Balassi a lot more and he was, he was beating his man. You know, I mean, there was a number of times I can think of he'd beat one, two, three players and the ball would go into the stand. And that was what was very frustrating. So I think, you know, it's almost like what we were saying about Wolf last year. If he can improve his final ball, this, this boy is going to be unbelievable. But until then, he's just going to be another trickster that hasn't got a final ball. Done very well, though, mate. You've managed to half talk about Balassi and half talk about Ince. <laughs> I got a bit confused in the middle there. <laughs> um, right, Chris, you, you said yeah, you're getting a little uh, bit excited about this. It is. Well, there's, it's a, we've got a difficult thing here. I've got um, I've got comments on Balassi. I've got comments on um, probably comments on Ince by now. Thanks, Tony. Um, <laughs> a few comments about Speroni just left Jeff just left over as well. But I've also got to get my own feelings uh, off my chest, if I may. Um, okay. If I start there, because I've basically I've heard you three talk about Balassi in a fairly disparaging terms, and you, you obviously you've acknowledged his strong points and what have you. Look, you know he was part of a, a first half when no one had a good game, um, and it's quite hard to single him out in my view. In my in my view, him and Glenn Murray were the, were the two players that changed the game, and I thought Balassi at times was absolutely unplayable in that second half, and without him, we'd have got nothing from the game either. I, I genuinely believe that he was absolutely fantastic in that second half and what he had in that second half that he didn't get in the first half and Ince didn't get in that second half was people around giving him options and so he, so the defender didn't know exactly where he was going to go every single time just see him down the line see him down the line you know he could have cut inside and played it to someone because the people were moving in that second half they'd had a rocket up their ass from 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 Tony Pulis and they were giving each other options and supporting them and it really I really felt sorry for Tom Ince to uh, to take Tony's mantle and sort of go off on a little tangent, Tom Ince I felt was just absolutely the picture of frustration himself because he had all he could do was basically get booed um, and kick the ball out in touch because he had nothing nothing around him and that was endemic of of the way the team were playing in that first half. So I think it's unfair to talk about Balassi at that level of frustration and. If I sort of edged towards the tweets on that subject, I did notice uh, Les had got in touch and he said seeing Johnny Parter try and pass or cross the ball is far more straight, warm up, far more frustrating than Yannick Balassi. Rob Allen said there's a long list of players vying for that title this season, and um, I've just seen never, ever, ever, ever in capitals. I wonder what that's about. Oh, it's about how it's acceptable, not acceptable to uh, to concede that much possession. But basically, uh, uh, yeah, and Gary T one two three said end product. Uh, it just isn't there. If he can prove that part of his game, he is worthy of a prem place. And he said thanks for the username dig. It's not a dig. I really do like Gary T one two three. It's a good username. <laughs> Cracking. Um, uh, yeah, Crystal Palace gifs or gifs if you're still pronouncing it that way. Uh, the second half today was the best I've ever seen Balassi play since last season. I've put the word ever in by mistake. Ignore that. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's that's a flavour of it. Um, I mean, there's still more tweets coming in on on the other topics, and you know, if we do get back to talking about those, I'll come back to them. But um, yeah, there you go. Okay, yeah, I agree with your point actually, Chris, uh, that you mentioned earlier about Palassi sort of being one of sort of eleven Palace players who had a bad half, and we're picking on him. But I think because he is the player that we expect a lot of times to get the ball and do something with it he was trying that as he always does and it, and it wasn't sort of coming off and then the second half things clicked a bit more and he and it worked and I think because he's the player who, who gets a lot of the ball and is the one trying to beat the man and create something 
he sort of gets a bit of stick that, that might be unwarranted in some cases, and I'm I was sort of guilty for doing that as well. It's um, the season, though, Ben. It's the you know he. It's not as if today was a one-off that he had a bad first half. He's played. He's had too many bad first halves for me, and mm. and I love Yannick because he's a fantastic character to have. But uh, yeah, honestly, he's just got to. Get back to what he's doing. Get back to basics. Get your head down and get past your man. Do the simple basics well, and don't worry about your own product. That's fine. I think, I think, <laughs> I think the problem when it comes to Belassi is the fact that because the ball does come to him so much, because people expect him, you know, you know, if you give the ball to Yannick Belassi, he's going to go past his man, which is what you want. But unfortunately, because the ball comes to him so much, because you know he can beat his man, it highlights the fact when he does, then his final ball doesn't go to where it's supposed to go, and that's the unfortunate thing about him. I think it's difficult. Uh, what you say uh, when Yannick Balassi gets the ball, he's going to beat a man. Is he going to beat a man or is he going to kick the ball past the man and then sprint after it and, and try and get it on the other side? Because I feel like, I know I'm, I'm comparing him to, we've had some fantastic wingers in the past and more specifically, Wilf Zaha last season. The, the skill and the, the technical ability of, of Wilf Zaha completely you know, outweighs that of Yannick Balassi. And it, I know they're different players. And yeah, there's like a class that. difference, isn't there? There's a class yeah. difference between them. It's difficult because you can't compare the two, really, because Wilfred Zaha is on a different level. And, and this year, Balassi hasn't really... I think, I think because we lost Wilf Zaha, it was kind of up to Yannick Balassi to step up to the plate. And I don't think he's done that you know, in the way that he wanted to. But, I mean, I was looking at him as well during the game. He looked frustrated as well when he was putting in crosses and they were flying well past the target. And, and people were getting frustrated with him. And It's just difficult. Chris, you got Did, some comments in the chat? Yeah, no, Andy A's quite rightly pointed out on, on the exact topic that uh, last season, obviously, you're talking about Wilf and comparing him, but when Yannick had Wilf on that other wing, it took so much pressure off. And you, you think about how Will, uh, how Yannick quite often outplayed Wilf in certain games, and it's because you know, he didn't quite simply didn't have that pressure that Tony was talking about, where we're trying to play through him. But I actually think he thrived on that pressure in that second half. I think... I don't know if it was a deliberate tactic or it just happened that that uh, Yannick was the one who was getting most of the ball, but I think we saw that that he was he, he took on that mantle. He thought I'm the one who's going to get the ball here, and I'm just going to have a run. And the more he ran, and the more he the more he was getting past those players. And yeah, he does do that thing where he kicks the ball ahead of him, you know, does a kick and run. But you know, it's one of the things that he can do. He also does some lovely little turns and little shimmies and things like that that really have have players going. And uh, yeah, I think that's the point. Uh, effectively. He he is capable of an awful lot, but he's he's come from a completely different situation than Wilf. If you think about it, he's a bit older than Wilf, but you know Yannick Yannick's history is, is if you don't know about it, it's fascinating. You know he he was in non-league and then he dropped out, went and played in Cyprus for a while and came back and then worked his way out. Finally got a contract at, at Plymouth and then Bristol City took him on and then finally we gave him a chance in the Championship. And it's it's, it's another one who's had an incredible journey and he's now currently playing in the Premier League and he's. He's not out of place, is he? He's not. No. You, you might argue that he's he's not quite up to it, you know, on a week to week basis. But he's not out of place, and it, it's a real phenomenal uh, achievement, in my view. Mm, one thing as well with Yannick Bassi, you know that he's absolutely loving it every time he gets the ball. He's got a smile on his face every time you look at him. He really wants to be there in the Premier League, and that's that's something that really endears the fans to him. Tony, you've got a few points on that. Uh, yeah, I've got one or two quick points. Firstly, I want to just say that Palace 15 Eagle has corrected Hambo and said it was actually Malta and not Cyprus. Yeah, same place. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's interesting. Um, did you notice that the, the, the save that Sproni made, the amazing one we were talking about earlier, um, the, the play all started from another ex-Palace winger uh, from the academy in Wayne Routledge, who put through an amazing ball over to their winger who then passed it through, which I thought mm. was... Uh, Highlights again what you said about our fantastic ability to bring through really good wingers. 
Yeah, no, I agree. Right, so the first half of the show, we're, we're sort of half an hour in now, and it's been a very negative uh, sort of first half of the show as as the first half of the Palace game was. And then it all got a little bit better second half, so we'll we'll turn a little bit more positive and, and, and talk about the second half now. What a difference it was as well. Um, the first question, pretty simple, I'll come to you first, Alex. Did we deserve all three points in the end after not deserving anything at half-time? Well, if yeah, if you the game of two halves is is a big cliche, isn't it? But it literally was. Um, yeah. It was. It, look, we overall, of course, we probably didn't deserve to win, but we had the chances at the end, and we really did rattle them after after the changes that we made. And and if we did get all three points, then then you wouldn't be surprised with the way that we ended. We just we had so much confidence, and, and I've written it down here, and I, I probably shouldn't say it on air, but we literally grew some balls and just got in their faces. It was it was fantastic to watch the transformation from sitting off in the first half to taking a game to people because it shows we can do it, and we've got the players to do it. Imagine if we play like that with Tom Inson and around it as well. It's just incredible. <laughs> it's not, not a great image either about growing some balls and getting in their faces. Yeah. We, won't, we won't go talk every about Every week, that. every week I get that one it's of another, picked up. It's another clip, another clip for Alex, definitely, yeah. yeah. Uh, Tony, you got a point on, on the second half performance? Yeah, I think, I think, I think um, it's, it's actually someone in the chat room has mentioned the same thing I was going to mention, the fact that uh, Swansea seemed to got tired. Um, my my friend who I was with watching the match um, actually mentioned this as well that Swansea had a lot of ball. They were pressing high and they were going to get tired in the second half. And he said, "We'll see what happens. See what happens." And then, lo and behold, that's exactly what happened. You know, they seemed to have tired, and we 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 were much better in the second half. So, I I, I think that's one thing that happened is that Swansea got tired, and you know, Pulis. Would have loved to have been a fly on the wall in that changing room because mm. I think that's as we mentioned probably one of the worst first halves we've had since we've had Pulis. So it would have been interesting to see what he said to the players because they came out in the second half and then played much more like the team that we expect. Yeah, uh, well, I've got a couple of points to make actually, and then I'll come to you, Chris. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, I thought first half it looked like we we were the ones that played in Europe on Thursday night, not not Swansea. And then second half, as you say, they did start to tire and. I think as well there was a little bit of managerial inexperience, um, you know, f- from from Swansea because they took Williams, Bonnie, and Hernandez came off in the first half, obviously through no fault of their own. But but to take off Wilfred Bonnie and Ashley Williams, I thought two of their best players, if not their two best players, was was uh, was a really bad decision actually. And uh, yeah, go on, uh, Tony, you got a quick point on that for me. Dyer nearly went off at the end of the second half. They'd already had one sub gone due to injury, and then Dyer looked like it, it looked very close to being subbed off. But he kept signalling to the bench that no, I don't want to come off. I don't want to come off. Give me a bit of time just to sort myself out. And then he, he stayed on. So they could have been two subs down in the first half due to injury, and then they really would have been screwed. Okay, and Chris, do you think Gary Monk was a little bit inexperienced with his changes, taking off the the main striker Bonnie and then one of the big centre backs Williams, and then? You know, having gone back to one all, they've got really no chance of getting back into the game. Yes, yeah, good point. Um, I think Bonnie Bonnie looked like he was dead on his feet. Uh, I think that you can't really argue with that. You'd maybe argue that if the best option he had on the bench was Lee Rolita, they should just have left no one on the pitch. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but again, I thought Ashley Will- taking off Ashley Williams was actually the thing for me that um, that showed us a way back into the game. Ashley Williams, it's not just about how he how solid he is defensively because he is he's a fantastic defender, but he's also he's the one who, who starts a lot of the distribution from the back. Um, you know, he's a player who's sort of grown into that role of being a, a ball playing centre back, and he starts a lot of their moves and just a little pass, nothing spectacular, but 
um, they lost a little bit of rhythm in, in taking him off, and, and you could see. I think it got, got, you know, Glenn got a little bit more space up front, and I think that's what made the difference. So yeah, that that was certainly a factor. Um, but to go into like the chat room, uh, uh, Lions five fifty or Ian Lions, that is, is talking about the difference in in his view, and he's pointed out he's been saying it a while on on the message boards that just moving the the, the defensive midfielders that fraction or that five yards forward makes all the difference. And I think that's that's a good observation. I think there was a lot of that in the in the second half. The midfield did shift forward and started pressing a little bit higher up the pitch and, you know, all of a sudden we had better possession of the ball and, and I think that did make a difference. And if I may go onto Twitter as well, uh, Simon Goddard got in touch and the, or the question of whether we deserved all the three points. He said we, we didn't, um, but by the end of the game, we, sh- we couldn't. We- and there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. We could certainly have had them if Jerome Thomas hadn't dived, which I dare say that that's a topic of discussion shortly. Uh, with yeah, is, yeah. King, King B saying the same thing, uh, Thomas hadn't dived, uh, we would have won. And um, the call Patrick, O'Connor, uh, Patrick O'Connor saying having two up front along with the player Balassi really helped in that second half. OK. I've got the producer almost shouting in my ear saying that, that the two players that they took off were ill, apparently. So uh, I, ah. I do apologise if, if that was the case and it wasn't a tactical decision. I, I apologise to Gary Monk for slagging him off live on air. No, I blame um, him anyway. Yeah, well. Um, right, so we'll move on again slightly further to the time when we did get back into the game and, and made it 1-0 um, from a penalty. Um, now, there's a few questions with that. Uh, and they are, was the contact inside or outside the area? Uh, you know, was it a definite foul? Should it have been a red card? Was did the contact you know start outside and then move into the area? So, uh, Alex, your thoughts, please. Was that a penalty? Uh, well, it wasn't in the area, but we deserve a bit of luck, don't we? Eh? So, yeah, we'll take the penalty. And absolutely, yes, it was a red card. He was about to put it in the net, and then he was taken down. So he can't complain. And it's Chico Flores, who we all hate. So <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> yeah, Mikey, uh, our producer, just said Man United away to us. So, yeah, I suppose it all evens itself out in the end football, doesn't it? Tony, do you think it was a penalty? Honestly, no. Oh, really? Uh, Go on. I, I, I think if you, if you watch the replays, you'll see that Murray was outside the area, but it's very similar to what we were discussing about, as Mikey said, Man United last last home match and the fact that you know was it in was it out you know he ended up in the penalty area at the end but the the contact was made outside the area and I've noticed on Twitter it's hilarious that Chico Flores has tweeted that he didn't think it's a penalty um, of course he didn't of course he would say that um, he's a player that divides opinion to say the least uh, but it, it wasn't a penalty but it was definitely a red card he was the last man and, and Murray was through on goal and 
we all know Glenn Murray would have put it in the back of the net anyway. So I, I would say that it's definitely a red card, definitely a foul, but potentially not a penalty. Okay, and Chris, you got any thoughts on that penalty incident? Yeah, I watched it, I watched it um, a few times. Um, I, I felt that the argument that the contact started outside the box and that he fell into the box, meaning the referee is entitled to give a penalty, I'm willing to stick with that because it works in our favour. Um, the, the sort of the view on, um, on in the chat room sort of ranges from uh, well, everyone saying outside, who cares? A, everyone agrees it was a red card, but the, the, the suppose the question is whether or not you can give a penalty for the fact that he fell into the area. But um, I don't know. See, it's a strange one, isn't it? Usually, you'd, I suppose if, if it was against us, I would probably be arguing the case that it should have been a free kick. But um, I don't know. I don't know. It, I mean, Glenn's going to put that ball in the net. It's to me, it's not enough. You know, in a way, it's not enough to get the get a free kick, is it? Because mm. you know, it's a lot harder to score that chance. You know, with a free kick on the on basically on the line of the penalty area than it is a pen. And, and it should really have just gone straight in the net. So I think we'd almost be penalised if he'd given it as a free kick. So I think the referee gave the morally correct decision. Agreed. Okay. Um, yeah, I think in the Premier League, you always have sort of big talking points of a season. For a few years, it was or goal line technology was the ball over the line. And now it's, I think this season, there's been a few of these where, you know, was it inside or outside? And then there's the, the rule, is it contact if, is it a penalty if the contact continues inside but starts outside? And it's really a bit of a, you know, a sore subject because one team is always on, on the end of the wrong decision and or well, the, the yeah, the wrong decision and then they get a bit angry and it's happened to us early in the season and now we've got one in our favour. But yeah, I do think it all sort of evens itself out. And moving yeah, go on Chris, we'll, we'll move on to a Yeah, just very, very quickly a couple of tweets to finish it because people are nice enough to tweet it. Mike Timms was just saying it, it reminded him of the uh, away game of Watford last year um, and also that the penalty was the same as the Di Michaelis against Barcelona one, the continuation into mm. the box and that and Gavin McRae just pointing out it just evens it up after uh, after Man United as, as Mike had mentioned earlier on so yeah I think people are just saying it's one of those things that it happens and we de- we deserved it yeah the team Michaelis one is one that I was actually thinking about it's almost mm. exactly the same situation and, and sort of the same outcome so mm. now moving on to the penalty uh, it was given and, and we scored it and it was Glenn Murray his first Premier League goal uh, Penn Murray as, as some people have, have named him Um when you get into that situation and you get a penalty, uh, really there's only one person that's going to take it. He won the penalty. He's always going to step up and, and take it. And I was a bit nervous for him, actually, because when you come in after such a long injury layout, chance for his first goal in the Premier League, you've, you've got to be nervous in that situation. You know, the, the butterflies are going to be there. But what a penalty it was. You, you couldn't have put it more in the corner, really. I was I was worried when he stepped up to it. I thought, you know, maybe he was going to miss. But that was a, a phenomenal finish and he really showed people that he has, he has still got the ability and, and he's going to be big for us in the second half of the season, I think. So, uh, Alex, your thoughts on that, please? It was quite funny watching Cameron Jerome sort of jog over and put his put his hand in the mix, but there was there was never any doubt that Mr. Murray would be <laughs> stepping up for that. And he needs a goal, doesn't he, to, to get that confidence back. And he's had a long layoff, and but he's had a long time to practice his penalty, so... Um, it was good, yeah. It was good to see him wallop it in the corner, and that shows, doesn't it? For me, that shows the difference between between what we've got. We've got a man that's going to sit on the six-yard box, and if the ball comes to him a hundred times out of a hundred, he's going to score, and and he's going to get in that right position where it's a simple tapping, where we don't have strikers like that, and it's just and and because we so many times this season we'll see Shamak or Cameron Jerome pick up the ball and then the box and then pass it sideways because they haven't got the balls to shoot. The man, the man is a hero. Let's just face it. <laughs> and Tony what are your thoughts on, on the penalty I just um, would like to echo what was just said and I said it a week or so ago he's back let's all be happy he's back yeah 
<laughs> the reason why my voice is all really croaky is because that I was in Patrick's in Beckenham. Um, other bars are available as well, of course. And um, I, I was screaming my head off and chanting and getting everyone in the bar to chant because I was ecstatic when, A, he got the penalty and, B, when he scored it. Um, so, you know, long live the king. He's back. And long may this continue and we'll get more goals and stay up. Oh, we share great man love, Tony. We share great man love yes. with Glen Murray. This is fantastic. Anyone else want to join the club, feel free. Tweet us at Homestar Radio. Join the Glen Murray fan club. I've been waiting to put a player on the back of my shirt this year, and I said, when Murray comes back, when he gets his first goal, I will put him on the back of my shirt. And if he doesn't score, I might possibly get Shamak. But, you know, he scored, so I don't have to worry about that. So 17, Murray is going on the back of my shirt. He's going on the front so- of my shirt. I don't care. <laughs> and of course... Sorry, you've got to say Tony's gone further than just getting Murray on the back of his shirt. He's actually genetically engineered himself to look slightly <laughs> like Glenn Murray from a distance. <laughs> That's a funny joke if you know, if you know Tony, by the way. I'm just yeah, I thought I'd point that out. <laughs> Tony, does your does your Twitter picture look like look like Glenn Murray? No, my Twitter picture is a very old picture. I've now got Can a beard, we- so. Can we change this is what it? What all old we... people do? Change they just put to... older pictures of themselves to make themselves <laughs> look young. Yes, Alex, it's what we do. <laughs> Can, my, yeah, my, can... my argument is the fact that I lost a lot of hair on the top of my head, so I had to grow it in my face to make up for it. <laughs> All right, breaking news. Uh, the producer is going to put some sort of picture together comparing Glenn Murray and Tony Pierce, and that will <laughs> be on our Twitter page uh, in, in the next sort of half an hour or so. So keep your eyes peeled for that. At HOL Radio. Exactly, yeah. And tweet, keep tweeting us in as well. We're, we're loving your contact, and we've got uh, a little while left talking about this. Um, one thing that we do want to hear about is the, the uh, Jerome Thomas dive. We're going to come to that in a minute, so make sure you get your tweets in on that, and, and we'll read a few out in a minute. Um, one quick point I want to make before we move on to that is about penalties. Um, and I saw a stat, my housemate gave me a stat earlier today, um, that Palace, since the start of last season, have, have been given the most penalties um, in, in the Premier League and the Football League, and that's 21 penalties in, in a season and a half, which is ridiculous. Chris, I was going to come to you and ask you, if you don't mind, do you think that... Do you think that that is because of the way Palace play, or is that just pure luck that we're getting those penalties? Um, go back to last season, it's because of the type of player we had, um, particularly Wilf. Uh, but that, that's the way we work, getting, getting our dangerous players into the box and trying to commit defenders. Um, and it's, it's a valid tactic. It go, if you go back to when we had AJ, it was the same thing. Uh, get AJ on the ball, get him running into the box, and people, people stick a leg out, you know? And, and, and that's, how, that's how we got promoted that time, and that's how we... You know, had a good go at staying in the division, and I think that's what we're doing again. And it's—I think it—it's weird. It's—it's it's not. It doesn't seem to be a conscious tactic. I don't—I don't think. Um, I mean, you know, the, all the talk of diving and stuff like that. I don't think anyone's. Obviously, Chamak's had a couple this season where he's thrown himself over, and um, we've had one from Thomas today. But I think every, every penalty really is—it's a genuine, it's a genuine penalty. It just happens to be the way it is. It's going at the moment. Um, I mean, you look at today. I mean, what? What, what else could Glenn Murray do, you know, other than what he did to try and put that ball in the net? But ultimately, someone's failed him, and I think if you look at every case, um, I don't think there's a, there's an odd. It's, it's just odd. I believe, it's an odd statistic. I'll give you that, but you know, nothing strikes me as um, untoward about it. Yeah, there's not. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I don't look at any of the penalties we've had and think, oh yeah, maybe that one wasn't, or, or maybe we die for that one because mm-hmm. you know there hasn't been many of those. They genuinely have most, well, most if not all of them, been fouls and, and deserved penalties. And we missed a few as well. To be fair, we haven't scored all twenty-one of those. That's for sure. Um, uh, Jason punching at Tottenham. I've just been uh, told that Jerome Thomas has tweeted regarding the uh, regarding the penalty. Um, okay, well you, you get that, and we'll come back to you in a minute. I'm going to yeah. move on to that now. Um, 
Pulis has, has had a word about that as well. So basically, we're talking about the Jerome Thomas dive. We went to one all, and we got a great chance of getting back into the game. And then the ball fell to, to Jerome Thomas, and he had a, a chance to shoot, and he should have shot. He didn't. He tried to take it round the player, uh, and then was going to get shot away, but he dived, and it was a blatant dive, and he got a yellow card for it. Um, Tony Pulis came out after the game, and he said, and I quote, he'll be fined. Shamak has done one too. It's something I'm very strong on. I've been in to see Mike Dean and Jerome Thomas waited for him to apologise at full time. It's a disease. I hope it's a disease we're almost rid of. But if people do it, they've got to be reminded it's not right. Um, Chris, have you got that Jerome Thomas tweet up now? Oh, I had, but I went back to retweet a load of people's tweets about other stuff. OK, well, I'm going to wait. We're going to wait. And you're going to wait for me to do it? Yeah, oh, I'm fair gonna enough. Uh, obviously, he's had, he's had some comments on Twitter, shall we say. He meant, his original tweet was, another point closer to safety, well done to the starting eleven and the lads that came off the bench and changed the game. Thumbs up, little picture there, safe journey back, hashtag CPFC. So nice little thing there. In response, he's obviously had a bit of abuse. So he's come back with, pipe down with, one of your, some, of your, with some of your silly tweets. I apologise to the ref. I took my yellow. I'll take my fine. End of. Hashtag great away point, hashtag on to the next. So an admission, he did what he did, he apologises for it, let's move on. And and that's his view. Okay, well we're not going to move on just yet, because I'm going <laughs> to come to the other presenters and, and get their thoughts. So Alex, what are your thoughts on that dive? Uh, I wrote actually in our, in our pre-notes that he was a bloody moron. If he wasn't such an overweight tit, he might have shot like every other human being. Um, I now <laughs> think that's a bit harsh. Yeah, a little bit, yeah. But I, I haven't been Jerome Thomas's biggest fan, I must admit. But I don't see why he didn't just shoot. This is this is the question. Like he went for a dive, but he could have just shot. And he should have just had, shot. Yeah, he every you know an, an instinct there. You've got the open goal in front of you. Just bloody hit it, mate. It's not it's not rocket science. Instead, you you get us a yellow card, and we would have won the game. It's just maybe if he had a bit more pace and uh, an ability, he might have scored. I think with Jerome Thomas, when you come to that situation, I completely agree. He could have shot, he could have shot, and he should have shot. Um, but when you've been sitting on the bench for ages, you had a little injury, you haven't really had any any game time, and you get that chance. That there's got to be nerves there, and and I think he he probably just bottled it at the last minute, really. Uh, Tony, I want to come to you. you. You mentioned you sort of compared in the notes earlier about uh, Jerome Thomas and Marin Shamak's dive as well. What are your thoughts on on the two of them compared? But it was worse. It was worse. It was. More obvious, in my opinion, and um, I will sum it up purely by just saying, "What an idiot!" <laughs> That's all okay. I've got to say on it. I tend to support every player that we have, but I just, I just no way can condone that, and especially the way that I, I don't rate his ability too highly. I'm just really, really struggling. But we'll stick by you, Jerome, JT. We're, we're here for you, and be back. <laughs> and, and next time you get one of those, bloody shoot, and then we'll, we'll be happy. I'm sure they're listening as well, sort of live on the on the coach back from Swansea, listening live to the show as they always do. I'm sure. Chris, a few more tweets just to finish. If you've got any, yeah. In I mean, on the on the Jerome Thomas subject, I just want to make a little quick point myself first. Um, not just to delay while I hope hope the tweets come in, but but also because I do want to make a point on Jerome Thomas. He's had um he's had a really tough time since he joined Palace. Um, you know, Alex is making the point. Uh, I think it was Alex making the point anyway. Um, that that maybe just you know had a, had a loss of confidence at that key moment. It's very late in the game. You know, it's it's you know up to him to to finish that. And you know, obviously maybe the the easy opportunity is the penalty. And um, if you think back to the start of the season, Mario Anshamak did the same thing. 
when he went through and, and could have could have shot. And you know, we were all talking at that time. It's you know, it's because he's got no confidence. And you know, Thomas came on and he did a he did a reasonable job that out there on the left. And he needs a run of games. Uh, I mean, cool cool Eagle eighty nine described him as a as a journeyman and. Um, in the chat room, and I think that's a f- fair accusation. Um, but in the same conversation, Texas Palace said he was the best crosser of the ball for us in the match, and and I think those those two things actually just sum him up. He's a, he's a player with an awful lot of talent, um, but but he, he's never really settled anywhere. And he, he said he's had some horrible luck since he joined us. He's a very very good player, um, and and he's made a mistake, and he's held his hands up. He said, I'm, you know, I'm sorry did wrong let, let's move on let's focus on the positives of the game and I think it's it's the right thing to do and when you look back at it when you look back at the fact yes he could have had a shot it's about three players on the line as well it's, it's I mean you know it's not a definite he's going to score here you know no, but it's definite he's not going to get booked for yeah doing it, exactly yeah it would have saved my voice as well. I wouldn't yeah. have screamed ah like that when I thought. Listen, it, it's embarrassing, and I'm sure he's embarrassed. I'm sure if he if he sees it on a replay as well, he'll cringe like the rest of us cringed when he just sort of let his let his feet go underneath him. But you know, I think there's so many things that must go through a player's mind when they're in that position, and particularly when they've been out injured for most of a season. There must be so many things that go through their mind, and if he'd been playing week in, week out, I think he doesn't even think before he takes a t- before he even takes a, that chance on there. I think he gets his foot on it, knocks it to one side, and just puts his foot right through it. But when you haven't played for a while, all those in- instinctual things that you do when you play football, they're gone, and you have to think that little bit extra. And I think that's all it was there. He's just try- he's thinking too much about what he has to do, and he tried to take an easy option. But you know, he's 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 a he's had a complete write-off of the season in my view but let's let's get behind him he's a palace player he made a mistake we'll get behind him and see if he can't make a contribution this season yeah i agree yeah, i think he's a good player off the bench to be honest right chris any last sort of tweets if not we'll, we'll move straight on but yeah you got anything um yeah just well just a couple of bits i mean patrick o'connor on, on drone drone thomas said that you know he, he said the same well in fact he said exactly what i just said <laughs> that um jerome <laughs> thomas shouldn't have died but there were three swansea players on the line better pass was square to cameron jerome so there you go i didn't even spot that so yeah you know there was there was there's a lot on there and paul edwardson who's he talking about there oh jerome thomas think he did okay before the incident put a new nice few cross crosses in so it shows you that people can actually see the positives of what he did and, and let's not we'll let one little incident overshadow those things and um so yeah that's that's everything there's loads more tweets earlier on but all about subjects that we've moved on from and obviously thank you for every single one of you who got in touch today much appreciated yeah it does definitely make the show a lot better when, when we get contact from you so yeah we do really thank you for that that sort of round rounds up the the whole chat for the for the match which i thought went quite well and, um, <laughs> Probably best not to mention it on the show, but <laughs> yeah, so I thought I'd, I thought me uh, in particular I was great. Yeah, that, yeah, so. yeah, you did well, Ben. Yeah. <laughs> now we, we've got a, a little treat for you. Uh, now we interviewed Chris and I uh, earlier in the week, Guillaume Balaguer, Mister Spanish Football, if you like, uh, Sky Sports expert, and and he spoke to us. He's got an event coming up on the twentieth of March, which we'll sort of go into more during the interview. But, but yeah, we've got a nice little pre-record for you, so we're going to go straight to that. A nice interview with Guillaume Balaguer. Missed any of our shows? Why not listen back for free? Here's what you're missing. Anyway, the game was apparently called off due to a gale taking tiles off the nearby houses. What Dwight was doing up there stealing when he should have been warming up, I don't know. But hey, when in Rome... All in all, with no game due to the elements, it's hard to pick someone to give my tackle from behind to. I don't believe in God, so I can't blame him. And even if I did, he'd insist I blame the homosexuals. A tackle from behind means something completely different to those guys. Hello, sir. 
Hello, Chris. Hello, Ben. <laughs> hey, thanks for joining us. Uh, we're going to get. Hey, name checking. Did you like that? Yeah, it was really good. I feel amazingly special now. Um, <laughs> I completely lose my train of thought, though. Uh, where was I? Oh, yeah, yeah. Let's get straight on with the uh, with the questions. Obviously, the um, you'll be at, uh, you're joining us because you're going to be at Sellers Park on the the twentieth of March. You'll be joined by uh, Palace legend Julian Speroni, amongst others. And um, you're, you're basically it's an evening of football chat. Can you tell us a little bit about that event and and how it all came about? Well, it all came about because when I published the uh, Pep Guardiola biography, Another Way of Winning, about two years ago, a year and a half ago, uh, the the bookstores do have like chats with uh, with people that may be interested about the the content of the book, and those books, Waterstones, generally, it tend to be um, an affair for a hundred people or so. And every time I went to one, they they always said, "Oh, we could have sold these three times." And then I thought, "All right, well, let's 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 try something else. Let's let's go to a pub." and see if we can get more people in and see if we can have a longer a longer chat and yeah. and then i went to dublin and belfast and glasgow glasgow was like 600 people and belfast was like 400 people and it was an, an amazing experience because uh, from from our point of view it's a test for me it's a different kind of test uh, professionally if you like but it was my opportunity to um, cross paths with a lot of people that have been brought up with, with spanish football who adored Pep Guardiola and what, what he what he stands for. So I continued doing it for the uh, for the Messi book. And what I tend to do is just bring friends, really, uh, either journalists or managers or players that, uh, that, that are friends, and then we just chat for, say, about 45 minutes, and then we take a break, another 45 minutes, and then there's a, there's a book signing. Now, it, uh, I wanted to do one in that part of the world, if you like, and Crystal Palace were very generous offering the uh, the stadium, and I thought, uh, I wonder if uh, Julian will, will join us, and he can tell us about what he means, uh, what football means in, in Argentina for the Argentinians, what Messi means for him and for everybody. But originally it was um, a reunion of a radio show that we used to do in Talksport, we did for three years, with uh, Adrian Durham, uh, yeah. Gabriela Macotti, Rafael Honigstein and myself, so... It's going to be the four of us and, uh, and and Julian joining us. That sounds brilliant. Um, so, um, I mean, in terms of, of, of the chat, so it grew sort of organically from just just literally getting football people in into a room, and and that chat just, you know, obviously you know what it's like when you get people who are passionate about football in the same room. It's hard to stop people talking. So, is it quite interactive with the audience? It is. Um, what what it tends to be is I, I like to tell the story of uh, of uh, Leo Messi because. People may think it's just a superstar that was born, came from Mars, uh, started dribbling players when he was one year and a half, and uh, and he was signed by Barcelona. And it's not like that at all. His uh, his story is very much a story that can be compared to so many other players of sacrifices, of things that he had to leave behind, of a broken family, uh, of of a mentality that is completely alien to anybody else of that age, unless you're a player. And those are things that, that Julian can, can relate us to. Mm. Uh, it will be a different kind of format to, uh, to the others because I, I tend to just get the microphone and get people involved. But I don't know. It's, it, it's for uh, high-profile journalists, if you like, uh, and authors, uh, all of them. So uh, I may just uh, bring them on their books and, and, and they, as you say, grow organically. And I will do that for the first part, the five of us just chatting away. And the second part, it always is interactive and just people can, can ask questions or insult us as happened in the past <laughs> or, you know, just have a go. It's, it's, it's really good fun, actually. Fantastic. Well, 
Um, yeah, sorry, go on, Ben. Uh, I was just going to mention, we, we said, obviously, it's at Sellers Park, and, and we're a Palace radio show. Have you ever been to, to Sellers Park before, Guillaume? Uh, do you know, it was my debut against Manchester United. Oh, okay. uh, I've never been, and uh, and there's a reason for it. Uh, Tony Pulis is, is one of my favourite people in football and one of my closest friends in football. And I wanted to see him. I've been I've been meaning to see him train. Actually, uh, I'm 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 well. I've got my coaching badges. I've got the B license, and uh, I'm trying to work towards the A license. So I go to see training as as often as I can. And I, I asked him to if I could go. He said yes. I've managed to do so, but uh, against Manchester United, I thought, okay, a Saturday three, which is very rare because normally I, I'm either in Spain or just two years of a sky. And uh, and yeah, went to see the. Um, the game, and then just had a chat with uh, with him and with Moyes after was invited for some drinks in the manager's room. So it was a all in all a really good day. Excellent. What were your thoughts on it? Did, obviously, we had the the, the the fans specifically had the the big sort of banner. What were your thoughts on on the Palace crowd? <laughs> I, I actually enjoyed the. Uh, there was a lot of banter going on uh, coming from from Manchester United fans, but uh, the Crystal Palace fans reacted really well. It was a really good atmosphere. I felt uh, the mixture of age and the noise and obviously it was a, it was it was a sellout. It was a shame that the uh, the game came out. It was just a little. It was a poor game on one hand, uh, and it was a Manchester United that keeps just frustrating. Those are more neutral, uh, but a Crystal Palace that that basically wasn't their league was that the the results up till then, up till now, really have been fantastic with Tony Pulis, and that you know that shouldn't be a, a black mark in in, in CV. Mm. He's sort of answered my, my next question. Your next question in a, in a way of um, when you've had a chance to see much of Palace this season. But um, I mean, any any players that really sort of stood out on the Palace side, and what do you think the chances of Palace avoiding the drop are? Well, I, I, I like Joe Ward. I liked him for for a while, and uh, and I was being called to to make him you know international for this for the late, latest call up, and, and he wasn't. But in any case, he's a he's a good defender. Uh, I'm waiting to see Tom Ince. But without the ball, with the ball, he's uh, you know he, he wants to impress every single time. I think he was disappointing against Manchester United, like most most players were. Especially again, without the ball, there was not much work being done. There's, there were too many individual mistakes, um, Chamak as well. So th- those are players that uh, on a good day just uh, they can be very exciting. But they shouldn't forget that the game doesn't finish when they lose the ball. Yeah, that's a fair point. Exactly. Yeah. Um, Jose Campagna, I'd like to speak to you about. Obviously, he, he's a, a young Spanish player, and, and you're big on on Spanish football. So he was a signing that really caught the imagination of, of Palace fans when he joined in the summer. But now he's obviously been sent to Nuremberg with a view to a permanent move. So, firstly, what do you think of him as a player? And, and secondly, why do you think he sort of failed to settle at Palace given his obvious ability? He's not. He's not a bad player. You're right. Uh, he hasn't had a good uh, run of games in uh, in the first division for long enough to actually say. Okay, he's an established player in the first division. He wasn't yet when he was signed, I don't think. But uh, it was a kind of mutual agreement at the end. I was wondering also, also what had what had happened. But I think on one hand you've got a you've got a player that really wasn't settled uh, off the pitch, uh, and on the pitch he just felt that perhaps things were going too fast for him. That it wasn't the brand of football that he would like. The Premier League is, a, is, as we all know, is a very very demanding league, and you have to actually go for it from the beginning but if if you don't adapt well uh, it just you know the, 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 the train goes so fast and leaves you behind and it really left the uh, campagna behind and now um, I'm, 
I'm not sure what, uh, what it, in the past you would have said, oh, he goes back to perhaps Atletico Madrid or Sevilla mm-hmm. again or what. But I think now is uh, being abroad and 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 Germany is a, you know it's a good league. It's, a, it's very attractive to these kind of players. So he may just uh, oh no, so he may just stay there now. Uh, again, that was my next question, really, whether he th- you think he had a future at, at Palace at all. I mean, do you think there's actually absolutely no way back into the English game? I mean, will it will it ever suit him? I don't think that is. I don't think that is. the um, His reaction to not getting uh, at the level that it was expected, uh, plus the reaction of the manager seeing that, that it was better to let him go despite his obvious quality, suggests to me that, uh, that that's the end of, of him at, at, at Crystal Palace, I think. It's a shame. Obviously, everyone was so excited to, to sign him, and so I saw him pre-season. And when he's on the ball, you can you can tell how good a player he is. It's just yeah, real real shame. It's probably the, the, the you know the physical demands more than anything. But anyway, oh, Ben, off you go, mate. Yeah, Guillaume, Do you think there's a, a huge difference between the English and, and European, and well, I suppose more specifically Spanish leagues? I mean, we've seen it in the Champions League this season, really, where our teams sort of appear to be quite far behind the likes of, of Barcelona and Real Madrid. So, why do you think that is? Well, we need to have an hour to explain this, but I think basically uh, we are, how can can I put it, we talk about the Premier League uh, as if you had a level that hasn't got at the moment. I think it was quite clear last season that a very mediocre Manchester United won the league. And I know people are saying, yeah, they won the league, so they should still be competing now, but they were on the verge of collapsing. Uh, The the team should have been rotated, uh, or should have been, sorry, uh, recycled maybe two or three years ago. Uh, so that's the winners of the of the league last season. Yeah. I think that uh, goes from that to what we've seen now. So when they come into Europe, they they get found out. There's no doubt about that. Um, Chelsea's a very because every every team is a different story. But Chelsea's a very unbalanced team. There's no there's no doubt about that either. I think it's quite clear that he needs better centre midfielders and um, uh, and, and and better centre forwards. So again, uh, even though they, they, they may be the only ones surviving in Europe, you can see that they don't dominate games as they used to. It's not the style of Mourinho anyway. Uh, Arsenal is Arsenal. It's just a team that goes up and down. It's like Ozil is, in a way, is the perfect Arsenal player. Sometimes, sometimes he fancies it, sometimes he doesn't. And, uh, and I think Arsenal are a bit like that. They're not consistent enough. Uh, there's still too much in that club that, that has to be modernised. They were at the forefront of uh, English football for a while, but definitely not now. And Manchester City is, is again a team that um, they gave too much respect to Barcelona. They were unlucky with the draw, no doubt. They could have normally gone to probably one of the top eight teams in Europe. But uh, but they just they just again lack two or three players that have to go straight into the lineup to compete at the highest level. That means different kind of striker, uh, another centre midfielder, definitely two centre backs. That's four. Mm. <laughs> but uh, Anyway, it's just, uh, it's just lacking in quality. There is money, but at the moment, the four projects seem to be ongoing. They're not, they're not at the level of that golden age of English football when, when you know, Salaris Ferguson, Arsene Wenger, Jose Mourinho and Rafa Benitez were always, almost in the semi-finals of, of every Champions League for a while. Mm, uh, when you think about um, the, the best sort of English players coming through, that you know, in terms of the national team, I mean, obviously you're talking about adding quality. It, it, it seems to be quite hard to add quality that's also English, which is obviously a big push in, um, well, certainly from a fan's perspective and and the FA as well. Um, I mean, in, I, I remember reading uh, Pep Guardiola saying that um, about Wilshire, saying that obviously he's a good player, but we've got you know ten, twenty, thirty 
of, of that quality in Spain, and, and you know he doesn't stand out. Um, is that is that something you agree with? I mean, you know, is is it a, a longer term project to improve the quality of English players? Yeah, the, the, it sounds uh, it sounds awful when somebody say from a nation that at the moment is, is competing well and winning things comes and says, you know, uh, oh, English football is, is wrong. But I've been saying it well before Spain started succeeding. Uh, I've been very close of, uh, of, of coaching methods and, and coaches and players. And, and you know, from I remember, and, and, and this kind of explains what happened to English football recently, uh, after England were knocked out of the World Cup uh, uh, against Germany, I spoke to Joe Colin what it was his last game as an international, and he started crying. He said that, uh, you know, my career has just been destroyed because of where I am in the country I am. I, I, I should have been much better. I should have been taught better things. I should have been uh, led better. And all in all, it's just I come here and, you know, destroyed by Germany, and, and I feel like uh, I, I've, I've wasted my career. So if, it's normal that uh, he feels like that, but... You have to look at the at the reasons, and 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 obviously you have to go take the conclusion that it's all down to coaching, bad coaching, not not bad coaching, very bad coaching. Yeah. Now I do feel that the things are changing. I do feel that uh, you know in these in these events, and I must have done about thirty now. People are really passionate about uh, Spanish football and foreign football and foreign methods. I'm talking about fans and coaches, so everybody's ready for the change. Yeah. Now, we've still got to get rid of a whole generation of coaches in their 50s or whatever and bring all these kids, English coaches that are 20 or 30, are preparing themselves to uh, to take over. Once that happens, then, you know, I think they're open to, um, yeah, to, to, to new things and, and to see what you can learn from, from all, the, all, the, all the nations winning. But do not copy Spain. Do not copy Germany. Do not copy Belgium. Just make it your own way. Yeah. But it's all based, or should all be based, in number one, good coaching. Number two, selection of players due to their technical ability, not their physique. Mm. Two things that are basic and I think uh, eventually will make England one of the top clubs in uh, nations in the world. Brilliant. Okay. Now, you personally have interviewed a lot of hugely famous names in the world of football. I mean, I've got a list in front of me here. Ronaldo, Messi, Rooney, Gerard, Beckham, Xavi, Iniesta. The list goes on. So... Do you have you know a few favourites that you look back on and, and have fond memories of? Uh, I am very close to Rafael Benitez, and I see him work, and and he's the, the image that he's got in England is so wrong. I think it's more or less a bit changed after the the, the Chelsea uh, months that he was there. But I always love enjoy learning from him. You know, we will go for a beer, and and he will just start using the bottles and the <laughs> and the cans or whatever to just make peaches and to make uh, players moving around it's always good very intense obviously Pep Guardiola was has been a, an unbelievable experience being close to him at a time when he wasn't talking to anybody um, knowing getting to know what Messi was a uh, was an eye-opener because what he's got through is is just what other players go through in a way as we were saying earlier but for me the uh, my favorite conversations have been always with uh, Sarah Ferguson he's a he's a great storyteller uh, he's, he's charming. Uh, he uh, he always teaches you something, and he he loves teaching. So all in all, is uh, you know I met him a few times, and he was always always uh, the highlight of that week, that month, almost that that year. Um, 
sort of going back to to where we were sort of at the very very start talking about this event you mentioned obviously you've you've got your your newest book is is the story of lionel messi um i mean it's, it's pr- probably an obvious question well it is the obvious question uh, is he well he's rated by some as the greatest footballer to to ever have lived let alone currently playing today um what's your view and also the ronaldo messi debate that i guess is still quite a hot topic in spain what's your view on that well i i've got to say and you know people say yeah of course you say that because because you wrote a book but for me messi the consistency that he's shown at the highest level appearing always in the big games we are seeing a little bit of a drop in 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 performance at the moment but count of the 26 years or you know the, 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 the seven eight nine years that he's been at the top and you have to say nobody nobody and I've, I've studied this very closely I looked at Pelé I've looked at uh, the Stefano look at Cruyff nobody performed at this level for so long so then it's a matter of taste you know you like you like what he does or you don't you think he's gonna he hasn't won a World Cup does that matter but I agree with Pep Guardiola when he says he's the best ever I, I agree with him and in terms of uh, Ronaldo and, and, and Messi, I think football was going the Ronaldo way. Players were becoming uh, like Ronaldo. Obviously, he's the best of them. Uh, Gareth Bale is another one of that factory, if you like. And uh, and that's where we all thought football was going. And we will see more Ronaldos in 10 years' time, I think. But um, then Messi appears out of the blue and, and you know, the Barcelona way of doing things. And you think, oh, right, OK. Uh, we thought this was gone. So, in a way... Is a bit more romantic, if you like, to um, to watch Messi. But I find Ronaldo another fascinating story of a guy that that has beaten so many obstacles in his life, uh, he, and he he continues still wanting more and more and more. That is something everybody coincides at the top. They have a gene. Something is for me is the only genetic genetic thing that they have. Uh, obviously, they fast or whatever, but it's in the mind that makes them so good. And it's that feeling of, of of always wanting more, of not being good enough, of, of always uh, wanting to push themselves a bit further. That is amazing. That is in those two cases, Ronaldo Messi is absolutely out of this world. Mm. It's that, that old saying, isn't it, that, you know, the, the talent's not enough. You have to have the, the right mindset. And, yeah, like you say, they're the clearest examples of, of being driven to, to be the very best that they can be and to, to never be satisfied. So, yeah. Totally agree on that. Um, okay. Yeah. Fantastic. Right. Well, we'll uh, let you go, Guillaume. Thank you very much. And uh, just to remind, right. the list, just to remind the listeners as well, Guillaume's book Messi is available to buy now in sort of Amazon, Waters, Waterstones, all good bookstores. And the event at Sellers Park is on the 20th of March. Guillaume will be there with Julian Speroni, Adrian Durham, Gabriel Marcotti, and Raphael Honigstein. Tickets are £15. And for more information, you can visit the event section on Guillaume's website which is www.guillembalagate.com and we'll, uh, we'll tweet a link to it as well. But thank you very much for joining us, Guillaume. We really appreciate your time. Yes, pleasure speaking to you. It'll be a good evening and, and hope to see you both there. Brilliant. There we go. That was our interview with, with Guillaume Balagay recording the weekend. I'm joined still by, by Chris. So Did you enjoy Hello. speaking to, to him, Guillaume? Uh, to, yeah. <laughs> to Guillaume, to, Chris? To, to, You're not Guillaume. What did you just say? You called me I, Guillaume? Yeah, I asked, mm. I asked you, Guillaume, if you enjoyed speaking to Chris Hamling. Yeah, I mean, it was he was a pleasure. <laughs> Did that sound like him? I don't know. Uh, he was a lovely bloke, wasn't he? I honestly could have talked to him for a lot, lot longer. But um, so a bit wary that we'd already gone over the ten minutes we'd said we'd be. But um, yeah, he was yeah, such a knowledgeable guy as well. Uh, I was re- I was like most interested at the start when he started talking about the fact he was doing his coaching badges. I wonder what he's planning. 
Mm, yeah, exactly. Maybe you will see him as a as a Premier League manager in a few years' time. Maybe. Right, yeah, so uh, as we said, we'll, we'll sort of tweet the details about that, but it's going to be a, a great night in March, so make sure you go down to that. Um, but for tonight, I think we're, we're just about done here, so thank you very much for listening. Um, and if you are listening to this on the podcast, make sure you listen live next week because uh, you can obviously get in touch with us and, and get your thoughts read out and everything's just a bit more fresh in the memory. But yeah, thank you for listening, regardless of whether it's live or on the podcast. We do appreciate it. And uh, yeah, we love hearing from you as well. Uh, on the show next week is Chris, Ben, Alex and Albert. So make sure what? you join us then. Say apparently I didn't know I was on either. <laughs> no, uh, yeah, so join us same time next week um, where we'll talk more football. Good night. Oh. Homesdale Radio is brought to you in association with CompleteSigns.co.uk for all your sign-based needs. To receive a genuine 10% discount, mention you are listening to Homesdale Radio and get in touch today. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.